the elders serving you here at Redeemer. It is my privilege this morning to read the scripture passage that Dan will be preaching from as we complete our series in the book of Ruth. I'll be reading the last chapter of the book, Ruth 4. Uh, you may follow the words along uh, in your Bibles at home or uh, on the uh, left side of your screen uh, where they will be displayed. I invite you to stand as you're able for the reading of God's word, Ruth 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging, to confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. 
He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashan. Nashan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. You had turned to Ruth chapter 4. And I just can't wait to actually preach to living people who are in front of me that I can see next Sunday. So I hope to see you out on the lawn over there at Calvary PCA. And um, if you can't make it again, we'll be doing 11 a.m. and encourage you to gather with somebody in their home. You know, that song, in many ways, is a beautiful summary of this great story. One of the best short stories ever written, a story that teaches us through character and plot about our good, good father and about how we're loved. In fact, that word love throughout the Old Testament, one of the particular words for it is this Hebrew word hesed. And it's more than just love. It's this steadfast love. It's this unfailing kindness that we see throughout the book. And that's that unfailing kindness of God towards us uh, that we get to delight in together this morning as we realize we're written into this story uh, because of how God orchestrated the life of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. We find freedom and hope and life in Jesus. So if you would, let me pray for us as we get ready to, to conclude our study of this great book. Father, help us to not only believe, but to hold on to and live out of that truth that you love us. You delight in us through your son, Jesus. And it is through him that we experience your unfailing kindness. So Lord, make this beautiful story be written into our story and that it be emblazoned in our hearts and minds and souls that you are a good, good father. And we are loved by you, even when our eyes may tell us a different story. May we believe the true story that's been written and finished through the life, death, and resurrection and coming again of Jesus. Amen. You know, as I read the story, I think it helps us ask this question. I mean, have you ever felt alone, fragile, forgotten? Have you ever been bitter? towards God, wondering why he's allowed these things to happen, to, to allow hardship to come your way. <laughs> Before I was a pastor, and even now as a pastor, I wrestle with those feelings. I have those questions. I think we all do, if we're honest, in some measure. Sometimes it can be a real dark night of the soul, real valley. Uh, sometimes we don't because life is good. Circumstances aren't hard. But see here, the thing is, what we think about God is so fundamental to how we experience both good times and bad. 
And if our view of God is that when we're good, he blesses us. When we're bad, he punishes us. Then it's not rooted in the very character and nature of God. And so this story, hopefully, will establish for us the character of God. You see, God was the same in chapter 1 as he was in chapter 4. He didn't change. Circumstances changed. (laughs) Naomi had lost her husband and her two sons. And to understand, again, the vulnerability of this woman in that time, there was... There were no great jobs for her. There was no government subsidies. There was really, even at that point, no church for her to be cared for because she was away in a different land. But then she heard that God had brought food to Israel, to Bethlehem. And so she went home to the city of bread. And we begin to see her life move from emptiness to fullness that reaches its culmination here in chapter 4. See, what we see in this story is several individuals where God's love, his hesed, his unfailing kindness is poured into their life. And how God takes even suffering and loss and uses it to bring fullness. And what we're going to see is not only did God work in these individuals, But as he was working in their life, he was doing something far greater and grander for the entire world, for us, how we're written into this story. And I think that's so significant because so often, I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling and if I've lost hope, all I have eyes for is me and those immediate things I care about. I'm not wondering how might God be using this in my life for the world. I just want my life to be better. I want pain to go away, difficulty, challenges. I just want smooth sailing without ever saying, how might God be using this in my life? And by the way I face this, how might he be impacting people? Not just today, but for eternity. That's the amazing thing about this book to me that gives me such hope is God is at work in these individuals who the world might say were nobodies. And God used them to change the world forever. And they never knew it. They they don't ever really grasp what God is doing in and through their life in the midst of their return and faithfulness to him. So let's look at this story real quick, and then we'll try to pull some big threads together again. See, we're going to learn by character and by plot. At the end of chapter 3, Naomi had just had hatched this plan, desperate, unwise, wise, I don't know, you make the decision. But essentially it's set up so Ruth can marry Boaz. But there's tension because there's another redeemer who's closer. So what's going to happen? Boaz has pledged that he will care for her if he can, but there's another one. So here we come. Boaz has gone up to the great to the gate. That's like City Hall, that's where business was done. And here is one of the themes that happens throughout the book. And behold, it just so happens the Redeemer is walking by while Boaz is there. The narrator wants you to see God is at work in every step of this. Here comes the Redeemer. Again, that was a position that was written into the law of God that he would buy the land to keep it in the family. And that we saw later there was this attachment that not only would he buy the land, 
and perpetuate the land, but to try to perpetuate the family name. So he comes and Boaz says, hey, Mr. Hey, friend, come and have a seat. And actually, that's kind of too nice a translation, to be honest. The narrator is kind of saying, hey, that's Mr. So-and-so. He's kind of casting a little bit of shade on this guy, saying, we don't even know his name. Because the way he acts, he's not worthy of being remembered forever. Because he's going to fail to do what he should have done. So Boaz tells him, hey, friend, come have a seat. Um, look, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, she wants to sell her land. Will you buy it? And that's a win for this man, for Mr. So-and-so, for this friend, because now he gets to expand his land. There's no heir because Naomi came back, and she doesn't have any children. And so he thinks he'll buy this land, he'll redeem it, and he'll get to keep it. So he'll have a little bit of investment now, but a long-term gain. So Boaz says, hey, that's great. So you'll buy the land. You'll redeem the land. Hey, just so you know, when you buy that land, you also have to redeem. You have to, that includes caring for and being the redeemer of Ruth and providing so that their name can go on. Well, all of a sudden, I love this line. Look what it says. Verse, I think it's verse 6. Then the redeemer said, I can't redeem it. Like, do you see the irony? I'm the redeemer, but I can't redeem it because I might impair my own inheritance. So take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. He's unwilling to take his role because now it's a huge loss for him. It's a huge sacrifice. So buy the land, but then if he also fulfills the other part to Ruth, then the land's going to go to Ruth's child, not to him and to his family. And so now there's nothing to gain for him. There is nothing he gets out of keeping God's design to help protect the land and perpetuate the family name. And he's unwilling to make a sacrifice that doesn't have a benefit for him. See, he's set up as a foil next to Boaz because this redeemer is unwilling to redeem. He's unwilling to sacrifice. He's unwilling to care for the covenant community, for the people of God. And then he sets in contrast Verse 7, Boaz, we see, and we don't fully understand those customs, but it was like signing a contract. He says, all right, I am going to buy the land. I'm going to redeem the land, and I'm going to redeem Ruth. But more than that, he says, I'm going to marry her. That wasn't part of the obligation of propagating the family name. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, but he's going beyond and saying, I will not only buy the land, but I'm going to take Ruth as my wife. This wasn't out of obligation. This was unselfish, sacrificial love. This isn't like the romance stories that we read today or watch in movies. I mean, it wasn't Boaz sitting there looking out at the field and saying, man, she's beautiful, and their eyes met, and the music plays, and they run towards each other in the field. It was nothing like that. He watched her work a hard, long day in the field, and he heard about her character and how she loved her mother-in-law and was showing Hesed loving kindness to her. He said, man, that is a godly woman, and she is worthy of the blessing of the Lord. And she, when she proposed to him, there were other good-looking men, 
younger men, but she went to him, this godly man who had shown kindness, unfailing kindness to Naomi and to Ruth. See, there's this sense, this this coming together based on their character of godliness. These two characters stand out because of their love and obedience to God and their care for other people. And so we see something of the God's design for marriage here too. They're, they're leaving their family. They're, they're publicly announcing, we're going to be married. And then they're going to become one flesh of which sexual union is a picture of the giving all of your being to that person. Now it's interesting if you look at verse 11. Again, these, it seems kind of odd to us. but So he's, he's made this statement in verse 11 that all the people at the gate and the elders are bear witness to it. It's kind of like a wedding ceremony when all the, the people are there and they witness the vows, they witness what's going on. This isn't the ceremony itself. This is just him taking care of the civil side of it. But they begin to say, hey man, this is, this is a great thing. We're witnesses. And then they pray a blessing on Ruth and on Boaz. This, is, this would be the scene like in a Disney movie when all the characters start you know, moving around and dancing and music's going. It's like the climax and the people are praising them and saying, Lord, we want you to bless Ruth with lots of children, that she's a blessing for the generations. We want you to bless Ruth with this family line and that Boaz would be renowned in all of Bethlehem. Now, we don't have time to go into why those, they picked those people, but that's the, the thing, that, that your family would be a blessing to many. They have no idea what they're saying. They're speaking beyond what they could even know because the name of Boaz is a name that has great meaning to us because he's part of the line of David, which is part of the line of King Jesus. Yeah, he's going to be known, not just in Bethlehem, but around the world for generations because of his faithful, loving kindness to Ruth and towards Naomi as he reflected the very character of God. I want to pause here because, again, as the narrator is doing this, he's challenging us to think, am I more like Boaz or am I more like Mr. So-and-so? Does my life reflect the very character of God, the kindness of God, the generosity of God, the welcoming of God? Think back, if you were with us, to chapter 1 and 2 when Boaz comes to the field, and there's this woman out there, clearly a foreigner, and then he finds out she's a Moabite, and they're kind of the enemies of Israel, and he greets her, and what does he say to her? My daughter. He tenderly welcomes her and shows her kindness. Doesn't judge her, doesn't group her with other people, but says, let me welcome you here. And then he's heard of her individual story and he he praises her love for her mother-in-law man don't you want to be one who reflects the very character of God who welcomes outsiders foreigners people who might have been enemies of God I don't know about you but I'm thankful for two men in particular in my life Pat and Andy who reached out to me and showed me the kindness of God 
even though I didn't deserve it. See, we have here a picture of Boaz in a time, remember this said it's in the time of judges where people, there was no king and people did what was right in their own eyes and Boaz from beginning to end has been a man reflecting the character of God. And so this Mr. So-and-so is the foil and it, it challenges us to think, how do we think about our responsibilities to one another in the church in the covenant community? Is the church useful only as it benefits us? Are believers and, and our walk with the Lord only as good as it helps our life flourish? Or do we take on something of the sacrificial nature of our God who sent his own son to die and Jesus who said, you follow me, there's going to be hardship and sacrifice and suffering? Yes, God is with his people, but it's also to a, a life of self-denial to take up the cross and follow him. So I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but this challenged me again to say, do I love the church because of what the church does for me, or do I love the church because this is God's beloved? And I'm going to care for them and sacrifice for them and serve for them, not just for my own benefit, but for theirs, and it will cost me. And I could go on for hours how I've seen so many of you do that and sacrifice and serve and love, but may God help us never forget that that's who we're called to be. And we need to remember human actions really do point to the character of God. What kind of witness, what kind of um, portrait by our character, by the plot of our lives are we portraying to other people? When they look at our story, do they see people who, in the midst of hardship, in the dark of midnight, in, in famine, in grief, who are able to say, the Lord is with me, the Lord is good. So there's this beautiful scene of Boaz redeeming the land and Naomi's life and Ruth's life and taking her to be his wife. And then verse 13, we have this, the, it's really kind of the climax of the book. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife. He went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Now this theme throughout the book has been from emptiness to fullness. And Ruth was part of the emptiness in the beginning. Naomi comes back and she's lost her husband, her two sons, and she even loses one of her daughters-in-law and she comes back and she has nothing. And she even says, call me bitter because of how the Lord has dealt with me. But then in chapter one, God provides the seed of grain for life. And that's a, a theme throughout. And he also provides the seed of human life here, which actually is rooted back in the very promise in Genesis 3. Right after things fell apart because of Adam and Eve's sin and rebellion, God made a promise that I'm going to rescue you and redeem you. And I'm going to do that through the seed of the woman. And through the seed of the woman will come a rescuer, a deliverer, the Christ, and though he will be stuck on the heel, struck on the heel, he will crush the head of the serpent. And you can follow the seed throughout. And so, in fact, God made another promise to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, through your seed, I'm, you're going to be a blessing to many nations. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. He made this covenant commitment. And 
Here we see this coming to fruition. God's keeping his promise that he made in Genesis 3, that he made in Genesis 12. Here God is keeping his promise because remember, Ruth hadn't been able to conceive before. But now she's found Boaz and Boaz has found her and now they have a child And then again, the women begin to celebrate in verse 14, blessed be the Lord. And notice too, it was the Lord who gave her conception. The narrator wants you to know God has been at work from the beginning and the suffering and the hardship and them meeting each other in the right field and then the Redeemer coming and showing himself. God is at work. Not just in their lives, but establishing his kingdom. So blessed be the Lord who hasn't left you this day without a Redeemer that you might be renowned in Israel. He'll bring to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Again, they're just singing this praise. Look, Ruth showed unfailing kindness to Naomi. And Boaz saw that. And Boaz showed unfailing kindness to Ruth. And all of Israel saw that. And we see that. And that's a reflection of God's unfailing kindness to us. I mean, that is a picture of Jesus, the Redeemer who has come, who's the restorer of life, the nourisher of our souls. And then Naomi takes the child, puts him in her lap, becomes his nurse. We end with this picture of fullness. What a beautiful end to this book. And yet, it seems kind of anticlimactic, doesn't it? After that sweet ending, they have this list of 10 names, this genealogy. Like any English 101 teacher would say, this is terrible. But they don't write stories like we do today. This was this important stamp to say, God keeps his promises. And just how there is no king, it's the time of Judges in chapter 1. We now have the promise of a king. See, Boaz is the great-grandfather. Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. And so they go through this genealogy. They're often in groups of ten. They aren't as specific and careful about making sure it's right, but they're groups of ten. They're in the seventh place. The most precious place is Boaz, and they're in the place of completion is King David. And it sets us up for 1 Samuel, where we're going to begin to learn about David himself. But that should hopefully make you think of another genealogy. This is the one from the Gospel of Matthew. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God keeps his promises. And then jump down. It says, he was Jacob, he came from Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, And then it goes down, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Did you forget? Rahab, a foreigner, a lady with a questionable past, was Boaz's mom. I wonder if that made him look upon Ruth different than some others might. He knew the mercy and unfailing kindness of God to his mom who was an outcast, but by her faith brought 
her and her son into the community of faith. Maybe that's why Boaz was able to remember where he had come from and show mercy to this Moabite woman. And Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. This genealogy is so important. And again, I want you to think about the fact that it is through Ruth and Naomi that God brings King Jesus to rescue us. And again, that should hopefully bring some application for us right now. Think of how welcoming Boaz was. Think of how welcoming even Ruth or Naomi who brought Ruth there. Are we those kind of people? I mean, because Jesus was welcoming to sinners. Jesus opened up his life to people who were at odds with him, ultimately dying for them. You know, it's so dangerous in this age that we just kind of get in our own silos and we think of those people and we miss that they are made in the image of God, that they are image bearers. And whatever silo you're in, wherever you put people, man, we mar the image of God in individuals when we just treat them like a group of people. Instead of saying, let me welcome them and show them the unfailing kindness of God that they might see in the way I love them, the very character of the God who's rescued and redeemed me. See, when we read the book of Ruth, it really is a portrait of the gospel. This God who is in control over all of creation and who is working together in the lives of these few people in such a way that it impacts the entire world. It should give us hope that God is at work in these everyday moments that we can't understand through our grief, through good times and hard times, that God is at work. I love how Sinclair Ferguson said it. We must never limit the purposes of God as though he were only doing one thing at a time in one person in one place at a time. Sometimes we can be deeply puzzled by the circumstances and wonder what God is doing. Too frequently we focus attention on ourselves as though the answer lay within our individual lives, as if we were the central key to interpreting the plan of God, the God of the universe. Man, that just slapped me in the face. How often do I say, God, what are you doing to me? And don't realize that somehow what he's doing in my life for my good, for his glory, can impact the entire world. And that the world doesn't revolve around me as much as I want it to. What God was doing lies far beyond the individual lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And what you are doing, the way you love other people, the way you put your hope in God, what happens lies far beyond your life and has circles that it will influence people potentially for generations. What an amazing thought that God uses our ordinary, often seemingly small lives when we walk in obedience that it can bless others that will go on through the centuries. We may never see it. But oh, that God would be able to use us like he uses Boaz and Ruth, and not like Mr. So-and-so who's forgotten because he was unwilling to sacrifice. Man, when we shelter under the wings of Almighty God, when we trust in his promises, when we reflect his character 
Man, that is when we know and experience life and fullness and sweetness. I mean, this end of the book, this genealogy is almost like that end of the moment in The Lion King when they hold up the new child. They're holding up King David, which is pointing to King Jesus. That's what our lives should be about. Holding up, proclaiming the glory and the beauty of King Jesus who is reigning and ruling over all of our lives. Because what we long for and what you see pull stories together that they lived happily ever after, so many of us want to say, oh, that's just bogus. That just doesn't happen. We want it to. And the reality is it does. Not here on this earth, but in the book of Revelation, that's the end of the story. And they lived and dwelled happily ever after with the king who created them, who showed them unfailing kindness. Friends, I hope your heart is captured by the main character of this book. God the Father, who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to sacrifice for you, to redeem you, so that you could know his love and live for him. May we live out the gospel as we learn to be welcoming of sinners as we have been welcomed. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us to quit living life like the universe revolves around us. Help us to be willing to sacrifice and serve and to reflect your character of unfailing kindness and generosity. Lord, my heart can be so small and selfish. Continue to do your work so that I can be more and more like your son, Jesus, the one who bought us, the one who has married us, your church, and who's at work making us more and more like Jesus. And I pray that you would give us hope and live lives of hope so that no matter what comes, we can say it really is well with our soul because we know the love of the Father. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.